As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Wednesday morning here in the DMV. Hope everyone is doing well here in mid-July. We are... Just literally over a week away from the owner NFL owners meeting in Minneapolis to take a vote on Josh Harris purchasing the Washington Commanders. Um, so that is obviously every, what everybody is watching, uh, not expecting any surprises there. But, you know, we're going to follow this all the way till the end, obviously. Um, in the meantime, it's been relatively quiet. On the beat, but today there was something that's obviously going to generate a lot of attention. ESPN put out a report uh, having to do with Dan Snyder, the NFL, and those John Gruden emails. I want to get to some thoughts on that in a moment. Um, my guest today, though, I recorded this uh, right before I started to take a little bit of time off, sort of. Um, with with our friend Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times Dispatch, our topic primarily the stadium. Certainly, we discussed the where it could go and the where where do we think things are at now. But we also got into the actual stadium itself. Like, what are some of the elements that should be in the stadium? Uh, so a fun conversation with Michael. We'll get to that in a moment, and then I've got some thoughts on. Uh, ESPN just put out some rankings on safeties, having spoken to various people around the league, and I want to discuss that in relation to Cam Curl uh, possibly getting an extension from Washington. We'll get to all that in a moment here on the podcast. Of course, you can subscribe to the Standard Room Only podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you do your podcasting. Uh, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic as well. Uh, well. Of course, I'll have some stories out this week on a few different uh, – or I'll have some stories up this, uh, this week, and then we'll get moving closer. More things coming up to uh, to the start of training camp and so on and so on. It, it's Even when it's quiet here, it's not exactly quiet here relative to other beats. So I hope everyone is doing well. Let, let's dive into a couple things. First off, uh, let me just start with this on the stadium situation. Since Michael and I spoke, the Washington Post put out a story about how 
Representative James Comer, who is the head of the Congressional Oversight Committee, is working towards trying to uh, come up with a new lease or get the land over to Washington to the command or to, to the to the district, the RFK side, I should say, which is of course federal land, possibly to to get a stadium built on the RFK site. That's not necessarily Comer's objective, but putting but giving the land to DC or or, or changing the, the the lease requirements, things like that, would obviously be about a stadium. And it obviously has gotten some attention. Sure, why not? Uh, a couple things I will just say on this. Number one, Comer mentioned this a couple of months ago when they had Mayor Bowser uh, in the halls of Congress for a, I guess it was a hearing about just D.C. in general, not just about the stadium. And within there, he made points about saying that he wanted to get the land to D.C. We wrote about this. I wrote about this. Um, at the time, I kind of updated everyone on where things stood with Maryland, with D.C., with Virginia. So I, I don't – to me, it's like if the, the Comer part of this sort of st- – if it had started at zero, his first comments bumped it up to, whoa, this is like a like a 70 now. Like this is like a thing. He's claiming this on the record that he wants to give this up, which isn't to say that this next story doesn't – this next new, uh, news – doesn't advance it it's to say for me that comer was willing to that that comer stated this weeks ago was the was the bigger story because there's you know constantly been this impediment with congress and the district government kind of working together this feels like a slightly different uh, this felt like a very different situation for whatever the reason comer wants to do this i'm not going to get into politics here um but that is so to me, like it's it's notable, but the bigger story already kind of happened weeks ago. The real story, though, in D.C. though, is the D.C. City Council, chaired by Phil Mendelson. That is the group that is not interested in a stadium to this point, and it doesn't really matter what the what the federal government does with the land if the D.C. City Council might doesn't you know change its tune and want to um, get into this. There is a video online, or you can find it, that Mendelssohn had a press conference yesterday about this in which he laid out his case as to why the district should not um, really get involved with this. And among the reasons he said, which it's hard to argue with, they've already have the Capital One Arena, home of the Wizards and Capitals, and they have Nationals Stadium, which the city owns. And he would prefer that they focus on helping those areas out, put more money into Nat Stadium, which again, they own, right? If there's going to be a big concert, he cited specifically like if Bruce Springsteen came to town, well, we don't need him to go play at FedEx Field. He's already can play here at Nats Park. Seems like a reasonable thought. Then you have the Capital One uh, arena that I don't know exactly how many events a year are held there, but like, you know, between the Wizards and the Capitals, and Georgetown and concerts and you know I don't even know does the circus still come around I don't know whatever else is happening they have a lot of stuff there so like whereas like the football stadium is you know relatively speaking not that many uh events over the course of a year and the whole point from the city perspective of building a stadium is generating more revenue and 
the way it would presumably work if the stadium isn't going to be, you know, you know, if, if the owner of the football team is the one getting the, the revenues, then it's less appealing for the district. My point here is to say that's where we need to keep our eye on the D.C. City Council. We didn't I don't know how much we just dis- I discussed it with Michael, because, uh, again, we talked before this particular update. But I would just say focus on that. What is there any is there any wiggle room here with the D.C. City Council about the situation? That is what I think you want to watch uh, more than anything else. All right, let's get to this ESPN report that came out. The headline is, quote, he was free and clear, end quote, how the leak of John Gruden's emails led to the fall of Commander's owner Dan Snyder. And look, I mean, there's some good stuff in here for sure. Uh, some interesting things for sure. I thought one one part of this that was, it was, it was uh, kind of fascinating was... And let me read it here. Uh, it says that. Oh, hold on. Where am I looking here? So it talks about how ES, how Dan Snyder was preparing to to speak at a, or Dan Snyder's legal team at least was preparing to speak um, at the NFL headquarters. This was back in June of 2021, right before they announced. The initial suspension off the Wilkinson report findings and the lawyers brought out a PowerPoint presentation, but instead of it being about defending Snyder, it became a series of screenshots of, quote, potentially embarrassing emails and texts from several top league executives, including Goodell's top lieutenant, uh, Jeff Pash, uh, the rationale, according to a source with firsthand knowledge, was to argue the hypocrisy of league officials judging Snyder. The tactics were so ruthless that some attorneys felt uncomfortable. Although none of the context was sexist, anti-gay, or graphic, the signal was clear. If Goodell didn't do what Snyder wanted in terms of handling the Wilkinson report and punishment, these emails and texts would be leaked. Quote, or sorry, then it says it became known in league circles as the, quote, blackmail PowerPoint, end quote. Pretty interesting stuff there, for sure. I mean, Snyder has never been one to admit or just fall on the sword and say he did something wrong. It always is something else happened. Somebody else is to blame. There's reasons for this. And maybe at times there is there is a bit of a witch hunty vibe going on with some of the aspects of this but by and large like so you know it, it, it we've never really heard snyder for the most part come out and talk about you know how any mistakes that he's actually made other than just to say sort of in general the you know he he's uh the owner and you know certain behavior shouldn't be allowed etc um here's the thing about this so go all the way back to when this all broke that the point here the story which i agree with is that i don't know definitively of course who sent those emails neither does this story it lays out a few scenarios but with snyder certainly the most likely but other scenarios were presented as well and when the very first gruden email came out which if you recall it was these emails were 
available to certain people, namely the illegal office, Snyder, and a couple of other people mentioned in the story that had access to these emails. But when the first one reached publicly to the by through the Wall Street Journal, a reporter Andrew Beaton, who had previously written, I would say, a somewhat of a puff piece profile on Dan Snyder, which a guy that never talks, but he talked to this specific reporter on the record, and then this reporter put out this email. That that in and of itself seemed a little odd, but okay, at the moment, we only had the one email. It was about Gruden talking about NFL PA executive director Demore Smith uh, talked about in derogatory terms. And at the moment, it was it happened on the day or the day before, something like that, where Demore Smith was up for election to stay on in his post with the NFL players. So it seemed like in real time, like, oh, somebody in the league or somebody in Demore Smith's world put this out there either to help Demore Smith or because they want to keep Demore Smith in that position. And if that had been the only email, I think that would have been a reasonable conclusion, again, just based on what we saw. But then there was another email, and Jeff Pash, who I mentioned earlier, was something he had said in an email chain was brought up. And then there was another email after that. And what became, to me, pretty apparent at that point was that here we have a bunch, a series of emails. The only constant in any of them, Bruce Allen. It was Bruce Allen's emails that were part of this whole discovery. And they were uh, damaging various people, but nothing damaged Dan Snyder. The person who was, uh, you know, just, susp- uh, you know, fined and suspended-ish by the league right before. He was the boogeyman here. He was the one accused of various uh, unsavory acts or was overseeing or he allowed these things to happen in the organization. And there was nothing about Snyder. And that's why, for me, it became like if you made me pick, and we've talked about this on the podcast, that I would say that Dan Snyder would seemingly be the logical person or somebody from his orbit, the ones who sent them out. Because how is it conceivable that an email would go out or multiple emails would go out and none were about Dan Snyder. And we know he famously does not have his own email, but like nothing on there about him? That, to me, was a pretty telling sign right off the bat that we definitely should be looking strong at his case. I would say here that like if this is not a court of law, this is not like, a, you don't need to get a standard of, uh, of you know, guilt, you know, uh, to punish Dan Snyder. Like, it's not like that type of deal. But if this was a court of law, I actually kind of think this story, to a certain degree, actually kind of helps Dan Snyder because it shows other potential angles. It says in here that Demore Smith supposedly bragged to people about putting this out there and, and helping the cause. Uh, there's other people, perhaps even somewhat connected to Snyder's world, but others who could benefit, uh, who could have benefited from this. The Raiders' angle on this is very much that the NFL hates us, and therefore the NFL may have been willing to put this out there to damage that organization. There, there was, you know, for many years, Al Davis, the, the current, uh, you know, the the longtime owner of that team, who famously was, was uh, in constant conflict with the league, 
could have been, um, you know, they were constantly beefing, and therefore that if that beef continued, his Mark Davis, the current Raiders owner, seemed to think that that was uh, the case. And you know, it's one thing to point to the Tuck rule, which is mentioned in the story as an example of uh, the league not helping the Raiders, but there were some other things in there that I think were interesting. So I still would say that John that, that the Snyder camp, in some capacity, if I had to pick, is the most likely source of these emails, but at the same point, there's other information here could let you point to a different way. And therefore I don't think you could say, you know, again, to the standard courtroom um, standard of, of, you know, believing that this person, you know, had, you know, essentially had done this, that I think there's enough other angles here to think, well, maybe not. But of course that has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. So, you know, go read the ESPN report. I would just say that this is, again, it's not about trying to throw a cold water in the situation. It's just to say, I think this had been out there in the ether. I don't think this was just like reporters gossiping. This has been out there for some time. I think, you know, I was talking to a different media person earlier. You know, we we were all saying how we've all kind of assumed this. And even the story, like I said, it doesn't definitively say Snyder did this. It lays out the case why it could be him. And what, you know, and again, I think it's a logical argument, um, but I don't know this necessarily like, it's like, oh, wow, Dan Snyder did this. But the ultimate thing is, whomever sent the emails, I agree that Dan Snyder was about to get off scot-free other than the suspension and, and fine originally handed down by the league. And now when this came out, it reignited the whole controversy. This is when Congress started to get involved. And things took off from there. So if Dan Snyder did this to himself, it is the ultimate self-own without question. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to mention sort of my thoughts on that Gruden aspect of this. That, um, you know, it seems logical that Snyder had done this. And the ESPN lays out the case or, or what they've heard as to why it makes sense. But again, the others could be in there as well. But, you know, the... It, it, it seemed pretty early on that Snyder was a very, very, very likely uh, candidate for having done this. And again, what a self-own if he really did that he's now on the verge of losing his team or selling it, we can say, um, because of because of all this. By the way, for what it's worth, there is still probably uh, the belief that his money issues, his debt is ultimately driving this for him. To, to do it more so than any of these um, other matters. But that said, you know, by the way, Jay, uh, John Gruden is still suing about his termination, suing the league. So there could be more revelations about this. But anyway, that's what I just wanted to say on that front. Last thing before I get to my interview with Michael, this is more on the football side of things. ESPN has been running a series of stories about ranking the top players at the different positions. Um, they've, they've interviewed, you know, spoke with, uh, off the record with various coaches and scouts and so on, um, for these lists. And, you know, they, they had the defensive tackles the other day and Allen and Payne, John Allen and Deron Payne both made the top 10 and so on. The one they put up today is about safeties. And, 
I perused the list, you know, obviously just curious a, a little bit, but I perused the list and, uh, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick from the Steelers was number one. Derwin James with the Chargers, number two. Uh, you know, Justin Simmons with the Broncos, number three. And, you know, kind of keep going down the list. Get to, uh, you know, the top ten. And uh, let's see, who is number ten here? We've got Antoine Winfield Jr. from the Bucks is number ten. Okay, no no mention of Cam Curl. Okay. But then I get to honorable mentions, and you see Quandry Diggs from Seattle, Kyle Duggar from the Patriots, and a few other ones. A couple guys on the Bills. Jalen Petrie, who was a rookie last year. Okay. Still no mention of, of Cam Curl. Then we get to others receiving votes. You got the Honey Badger, Jeremy Chin with the Panther, Panthers. and So this is about, I don't know, 20-ish names. And no mention of Cam Curl anywhere in here. Now, that seems to me to be off. Like I would think Cam Curl would get a vote. But what's interesting about that is, for the for good or for bad, in any local market, we all tend to overhype and overcritique players who we follow every day because we know them the best, right? All the ones I just said, whatever they are, we're not watching it on a day on a regular basis. We're not watching down after down, or in the case of reporters being around practices in the locker room and talking to people about these teams. So I believe that Cam Curl is a pretty darn good safety. And last year, the statistics certainly showed Washington was a much better defense when he wasn't, when, when he was on the field than he wasn't. But he doesn't make, he doesn't get a single mention by any of these people around the league. Uh, I only say that again, because we talk about Cam Curl a lot and we talk about him a lot lately in part because of the notion of will he be getting an extension at some point here, either before the season starts or whenever, going into the last year of his contract as a seventh-round pick who has turned into a starter basically since his rookie season. And I think there's like almost an expectation. We talk about Cam Curl getting an extension, like, of course. And we don't, you know, we have no idea what Josh Harris wants to do, obviously, right? The owner of the the uh, the 76ers, who's about to buy the Commanders. We don't know what his plans are. Does he want to keep maximum cap space? Washington has roughly $80 million in, in available space at this point for next year, fifth most in the league. Maybe he wants to just not put any more money money forward to, to maximize that cap space for whatever his plans are after the year. This is also a team that drafted essentially a safety in the second round in Quan Martin that also has Percy Butler, that also has Derek Forrest and Jeremy Reeves. And Curl is better than those guys, but it isn't like they're completely bereft of talent beyond him. So I just think it's interesting that the in general, it is constantly discussed of Cam Curl's going to get an extension. We all just assume that. And he may very well. That may very, very well be the point that's going to happen here once the the money spigot gets turned back on for Ron Rivera. But again, I just think it's interesting that he's not even mentioned among the top 20 or so safeties per these coaches and, and uh, personnel executives. Um, 
I just want, you know, I think that's somewhat interesting. Again, I, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying he should be, I'm not saying he should be a top 10 or a top 15 safety there. But to the degree that we say they've got to do this, they've got to do it quick, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, all right, enough out of that. Let's get to my conversation with Michael Phillips. Again, we talked a bunch about the stadium both in terms of, of course, where it might be, what are, what's our latest thoughts on that, but also, what does the stadium need? What should it have? What are important aspects, uh, you know, all the things that fans are, are looking for and that, hey, you know, any of us are looking for when a new stadium comes up. So let's get to that right now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, uh, joining me here, as promised, our go-to correspondent from the uh, RVA and all things Washington Commanders, including the stadium talk, is Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. And I also would like to say that I I feel happy when I get Michael on the podcast because he is, not only is he a good talker, he gets in his steps while 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 we're doing this. He's a walker and a talker. Well, I could do both. I can't chew gum, too. That would be too much. Um, but t- taking a nice stroll around uh, our TD World headquarters here downtown while we uh, get to the bottom of some stuff. It's uh, a lot of people always say, start of July, best time to get to the bottom of some stuff. Absolutely. Wait, so you said you were like in like your like dining area, cafeteria area. What What's that like there? Do they do you, uh, do they have food? Are there cool kids tables? Like what, what, what's the, like the scene down there? It's, it's certainly it's not like you hear about like Google and Facebook, like they like bring in chefs and are like flying in tuna from Japan for these people to eat. We've got a little... It's not quite a vending machine. It's a step above. It, it's called the trolley market. Um, it, it's, you know, some fridges, some stuff. It's like pre-packaged. They bring it in each day. And you can you can scan it like a self-checkout kind of thing. They got a little Starbucks machine, not a person, just the machine. Um, so, you know, it's 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 not the pinnacle of luxury, but uh, I guess it beats nothing. I, I bring my lunch, Ben. I don't you know, you, you know me when I come to the park, I, I usually just... Uh, Grab a salad at Wawa, keep it moving. I'm, I'm, I'm a simple man. Well, look, I mean, you know, it. I think it's good to minimize as many choices as you have to make in life to then focus <laughs> on the important things and not stress, like things like, "Oh, where should I eat today?" And then, like, I spend ten minutes debating which which of the six Chick Fil A's around uh, Commanders Park I want to go to. <laughs> man bit, bit of a dagger though last week i think last week it was last weekend father's day whenever it was um yeah i get to pick where we eat for father's day so, so let's let's go over to zzq uh, you know throw down on some barbecue everybody else in town also had that idea we get their three hour wait um i forget the kids i can't do a three hour wait so uh we, we got foiled on, on our barbecue attempt but the owners of zzq now have a burger place right next to zzq and it also is outstanding Nice. How long would you wait in line for anything? Like, what is there like a maximum? You know, like if you're going to the Super Bowl and they say, "Well, it's two hours to get in," obviously you're not going to turn around and say, "This isn't worth it." But like, if you're talking a restaurant, a bar, whatever, what's the longest you would actually wait in line to go into the place? And it's a great question because, like, it was ZZQ. I live here. Like, I can just get it on on a Tuesday afternoon if I need to. So, so my amount of waiting I'm willing to do is very small i know there will be more opportunities but like if i'm in i'm a barbecue guy so say if i'm in austin texas and we're standing outside franklin's like the number goes up because i'm here like once every four years i gotta get it i gotta have it um 
I boy, two hours does feel like a good number. Oh, we we you know we've done Disney World. There, there's like some of the rides at Disney World. It's like a two hour wait to get on the ride. I can't do it. That that that's a no for me. Like I I'd rather just you know get on It's a Small World seven times and call it a day with, with no wait than wait two hours for for Peter Pan or whatever. Um, so I, yeah, I, I'm probably a lower number than most people. I, I've got a low waiting tolerance, but I, I could do two hours for the right thing. I think I could. I, I mean, back, I remember, you know, back in the day in my in my youth when going out was a thing, and I was like, you know, the day before Thanksgiving was always the great night to go out. Uh, it's also like around when my birthday yes. is, so, so there was extra there. And we would stand outside of a bar. So this is November, you know, late November. Standing outside of a bar, it's cold. You don't wear your jacket because, well, obviously, when you get inside, what are you going to do with your jacket? <laughs> yeah, forever, like forever, we would stand out there. I, 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 boy, I that scenario, I couldn't even do it for, I don't know, twenty minutes. <laughs> no, um, no, I went to count. I went to college at the University of Kansas, big basketball program, as you know. Um, you camp out for for seats at the basketball games. Um, now, that is an around-the-clock effort. The difference is you're allowed to do it with a team. So I, I think 12 was the maximum group size. And, and you know, you, you pitched a tent and you held it down. Uh, and, I, I, you know, we all took two- or three-hour shifts or whatever it was, hold, holding down the spot for it so we could go to the basketball game against Missouri. Um, so I, I guess theoretically that's the longest line I've waited in. But when you're in college, I mean, your time is worth so little in college. That's so just, little. That, that's that's what you appreciate as you get older. Like now, now that I'm older, like man, like you, you know, three hours? Are you kidding me? Like I could do so much in three hours in college. Like you're just looking to kill three hours. That that was honestly kind of a perk of the whole thing. Absolutely, it's one of the reasons why I think ultimately I I didn't take to golf. Is that forget the stink good you know if you play it enough you'll be decent enough but the the time that it the effort and time it takes to play the whole thing you know drive to the course warm up play it's a long time like it's as a big, in like big I, investment yeah at some point i was just like ah i mean granted i am fairly lazy i'm not gonna argue that but like yeah t- time <laughs> is um yeah my, my patience for waiting on things is 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 very neg neg uh very small um yeah and this actually segues into what we're going to bring Mike, what we bring Michael in to discuss today. And that is, you know, at some point here, the stadium talk will get more robust as Josh Harris settles into. Um, we're, we're talking ahead of the final sale here. So we'll just, just, we'll just keep talking as if it hypothetically will happen, but we'll see, you know, knock on wood, that whenever he settles I, I feel, in. I feel good at this point. I feel good. I, I don't want jinx. I feel I good. Feel, right. I agree. But just, you know, we'll see. Um, <laughs> That, so whenever Josh Harris settles in, and, and because it's the stadium, it could be, we, he might say day one at his introductory press conference, this is exactly what I want to do. He may not, he may say, hey, we're, I'm not even going to think about this for a year or so. I need to do other things. Who knows? But at some point, we assume they're going to build uh, a new stadium, and we want to talk about what, what what should this new stadium look like? What should What should be involved in this? What should be some of the perks? We've discussed location, obviously, a lot. But waiting in lines is a huge deal. I know for me, like when I'm at FedEx Field, uh, and like for for some reason I don't like the food options we have in the media room, and I'll go I'll look outside or the to the uh, concourse area. I'm immediately skipping any place that's got a line of like 20 people. I, I don't even care what. I'll take the. I don't want to discount any food. I'll take the the most basic food option possible if there's three people in line versus the best food. If I gotta wait 
you know, it, and capacity plays into that. There's so many decisions you have to make. Cause I, I mean, let's just, let's go, let's cut straight to the real talk here, Ben. There is not the fan base right now to support a 90,000 seat stadium uh, that, you know, that, that fan base doesn't exist. And, and that's not to suggest you can't win them back or you can't grow to that level. I think certainly all of those things are a possibility under Josh Harris, but you, you, if you're talking about next 10 years, What's your what's your number of commanders fans who would like to attend home games in the Josh Harris era for a team that, let's just say, hypothetically is good, but not great, you know, and a nine win team or, or, or whatever your number is, because um, obviously people are coming if they make the Super Bowl and people aren't coming if they're three and 13. But but in that middle ground, I mean, honestly, probably 40,000. I mean, I that that stings to hear, but that's probably the number 40,000 seat capacity stadium is is the number to build now wait you, wait, wait wait hold on Forty thousand. that's well, i'm just i'm just saying if, if you were ideally building the families of course you're not going to build it 40 of course you're going to build bigger um but the real true honest number uh, of tickets you can sell to to the current place and you know that changes depending on where you go that changes on, depending on what you got but you remember they were talking in woodbridge they were talking about 55 um, 60 is a number that's been floated a lot, a 60,000 seat stadium. So your other factor on that is, look, it's D.C. We can get big events here. We can get Final Fours and Taylor Swift's and all those things here because we're a big enough city. But if you build too small of a stadium, you're out of the running on those things. You don't, you don't get those things. So do you build for the biggest games, the biggest events? Do you build for WrestleMania and, and Commanders against Cowboys? Or, or do you build for... Hey, it's week four against the Jaguars. Let's make sure we got a nice little atmosphere here. Those are big questions. Uh, for 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 sure. And that's the thing about building an NFL stadium, right? When you're building a, a an NBA arena, forget the fact that you can, like in the case of DC, have you know the, the NBA and the NHL team play there. They also had a WNBA team play there for a while. The college basketball team plays there. But putting all that aside, that's I mean, you get so much more usage out of that building because the, the, yeah. the NBA team was playing 41 games, all, all those kinds of things. The NFL, you know, as we know, you got uh, more or less eight or nine home games, maybe a couple preseason games and that, and then if you're fortunate, some postseason, that's it on, in terms of just the football team. So what do you do with the, with the rest of it? And that's where I think, you know, the, it's almost feels like there needs to be more like city and like, the city needs to have like more say or wherever it's going to be the city or the state almost needs to have more say. I feel like in an NFL stadium for this reason, because you got to make, like you're saying, you have to make that call. What are we building this for? It can't really just be the football team. It's got to be these other things. So what do we think we can realistically do? It's a tremendous point. You capital one arena downtown uh, or whatever they're calling it today. I can't keep track. You you build people build restaurants and housing around that because a, that restaurant knows on more nights than not people will be there for events. People want to eat. People want to be in the neighborhood. Same at Nats Park. Now eighty one's not not as big a number as as you're getting at the other arena, but eighty one's still a big number. You can you can build a neighborhood and an atmosphere and the salt lines down there. Obviously, that you know I, I know there's lots of other places I haven't been this year yet, but there there's lots of places down there. Can you invest in an NFL stadium now? I think about Nashville, like the ultimate event town, right? There, there's nothing around that stadium in Nashville, the Nissan Stadium there. It's, 
you don't develop around an NFL stadium generally. And that that's one of the big obstacles uh, they're, they're going to have to address here. Right. And that's why I like, you know, right up the street with Baltimore. Not that there's a lot directly on top of like Raven stadium, but as you know, anybody who's been there knows it's walking distance to everything, you know, inner Harbor. It, and... You know, there's so many different ways to do it. The way Baltimore did it was put it right next to the baseball stadium, which of course generates its own, own interest in its own drive. But, you know, football stadiums are, are, are fickle beasts in that way. Uh, the, the Cowboys do a very nice job. They bring in other programming. You know, they uh, Pittsburgh's got that too. the suite level. You know, people have meetings there, conventions there, weddings there, things like that. Um, you know, you're going to have to drive demand from from other sources in other ways. So I pulled up some random list online of uh, stadium sizes. So just for I mean, I, I assume a lot of people know some version of this, but just to be clear, Right now, there's three NFL stadiums, 80,000 or up. That's MetLife where, with the Giants and the Jets. Lambeau Field, which is almost surprising to hear that it's that much. Uh, They've and, overexpanded, but that that's a that's a side tangent. I yeah. Can go on. Uh, and uh, uh, Jerry World at 80,000. Then there's... What's so high? Uh, 70,000, according to what I'm looking at here. Wow. Okay. I would have guessed more. So that this is sort of what I was going to say. It's sort of interesting. Like, okay, so obviously what was the capacity at FedEx? 90? 93 at the peak. Yeah. Right. So, so nothing comes to that. And then if you're looking at like some of the more recent stadiums, you just mentioned SoFi, 70,000, the Falcons somewhat recently, 71,000, um, the Lions Ford field fairly recently. That's the, it's the third smallest at 65,000 tied with, Another new stadium, Allegiant Stadium in, in Vegas, yep. 65,000. Uh, the Viking Stadium, which for me, probably the nicest one. I, I just love the pirate ship and the purple and all that. Uh, that one's 66,600. Yep. So it definitely the trend is going down. And I do think there's something to be said for that, especially like, look, nobody wants to sit. I don't want to say nobody wants to sit in the upper deck because sometimes the view looking down is better. But like at some point it becomes, wait, do I need binoculars just to watch every play? You know, uh, what, what what's happening here? So I, I think that to me, like that sweet spot for the size, I, I do kind of like that, you know, 60, 65 to 70, I, I think makes can make can make sense. And, and, you know, like we just said, it's it's not only for these for the football, it's for these other. Uh, events you could possibly get as well obviously one you know one thing about this this city because of dc you know you can get a lot of, of events especially like some international things like uh u.s men's and women's world cup uh absolutely you know uh preliminary games or you know exhibitions whatever whatever you have i think that's the type of thing and then there's also you know could this be a, one of the rotation spots for army navy uh, that you know, it's only one game, but that type of deal. So I don't know. I think sixty-five sure. to seventy would be my would be my answer if if I had to pick a, a pick a number. I'm coming in at fifty-five. I'm I'm coming in small. I I, I think the like it is great to host World Cup matches, Ben. It is great to host uh, Ed Sheeran. It it is great to host all these things. I do not want to detract from that. It would be great to host a Final Four. The number one priority of Josh Harris and his group is not hosting Final Fours, is not hosting Taylor Swift. The number one priority of the Josh Harris group coming in is to have a successful football franchise. That is the best thing they can do. That is their goal every day. 
I think the best way to accomplish that is a small, pretty intimate stadium that puts the juice back in going to Washington Commanders games. That, that makes people say, I want to go to the Washington Commanders game. That's a good environment. People enjoy themselves there. And I just think the bigger you go, the less likely you are to achieve that, no matter how successful you are. You know, the, the more the more seats you have, the more visiting fans are going to find their way in. The more seats you have, the more likely it is you will have a non-sellout for one of your regular season games. I, I just think you have to keep the eye on the ultimate prize, resurrecting this franchise. What was RFK? RFK was 50. Like, you know, you need a home field atmosphere that you can ride with and be proud of uh, and that you can build off of. And I just think smaller is the way to do it. So I've just pulled up the attendance from this past year across the NFL. So Dallas averaged 93,000. How does that work? They have, they have the standing room uh, area there where you, you can pay to watch the game on the big TV. All right. Well, if they do that at this new stadium here, and I still have a podcast called Standing Room Only, we may have to sponsor that era if that's such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, all right. So they, according to this, they the, the, the commanders last in the league, 58,100. Now, we're not saying, of course, that that means that's how many people actually showed up for on average per game because they're factoring in season tickets or tickets that were you know, bought, whether people kind of showed or not. But at 58,000 for what this product has been, which has obviously been a miserable situation, uh, not just on the field, but certainly off the field. So if it's, a, it, I, I don't know what number you would say is maybe the real, a realer number, 50, I, I, I don't know, 45, like what? Uh, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in there, I think is fair. Yeah. Okay, so if Josh Harris is building a new stadium, it sounds like it may not happen until uh, it may not be finished until the start of next the next decade, which would yes. give. So let's just say twenty thirty is the 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 opening date. That gives you a seven year runway essentially to get this team on the field to be a better product. Not to mention remove the ick of the Dan Snyder era. Does that not make you think, hey, and I hear what you're saying about being intimate, independent of, of anything else, like whether your team is great or whatever, you like that vibe. But does the fact that you actually have more time, like clearly all of our minds are based on where this thing is now versus when, you know, where it could be uh, in seven years. Does that does that not do anything for you in terms of the size? It really doesn't. I, I think there's two levers Josh Harris can pull here. I, I would either encourage him to go very big or very small. I there's a very compelling argument to be made for going big, and that is you're in the nation's capital. You you can become the nation's arena for showplace events. You, you know, World Cup, soccer, Final Fours, college football title game. There's ever an Olympics here. You know, you you could be sitting with the president in your owner's box feeling good about yourself in a 90,000-seat stadium. That, that's an available option here and I think a legitimate path to go down. I would go the other way. I would go very small. Um VCU basketball here in Richmond. I think everybody's familiar with VCU basketball. Went to the Final Four a few years ago uh, with, with Shaka Smart. It's it's a hot ticket. Uh, it's it's about 7,000 capacity here. The Siegel Center's the arena. And every few years, you know, they study or somebody say, hey, they need to expand it. It's tough to get a ticket. And the answer is absolutely not. They do not need to expand it. So, you know, they you can't get a ticket when VCU plays against Dayton. You know, and, and Anthony Grant's in town and it's two tournament teams going against each other. That's too hot of a ticket. You can't get that. But what that does is that drives ticket demand for Tuesday night when you play 
against George Washington to, to pick on a school up there, a school that has no juice, no, no fan base, um, and no compelling reason to go to the game. People go to I, that I dare game. you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, buff on blue and gold or whatever. Um, you, you know, they, they need to drive that ticket to man. And so people say, ah, it's hard to get a VCU basketball ticket. I can go to that game. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that atmosphere. It keeps it full. You're right. You don't program to your, your biggest games. You program to your smallest games and then, then let make it a hard ticket, make it a hard ticket to get RFK was a hard ticket to get. And, you know, I would say the other thing is we don't know where the world will be in 10 years, but I'm going to go out on a limb here, Ben. I think television will be even better at broadcasting NFL games than it is today. I mean, you just look at the leaps and bounds innovations from high def to slow-mo replay to red zone, just all the different things. It gets better to stay at home and watch on television with every passing year. And, and that is something these people are up against. If you are programming for a big arena, you are not just competing against other, other going out options. You're competing against people watching on television. And it, it's only going to get more competitive. No, that, that, that point is uh, 100% accurate. And obviously, you know, when we talk about this, I certainly, I, I don't think, how I think I don't think is unique. And that is sort of like we talked about at the top here about how much time, you know, do we want or are we willing to wait in line for something, right? For these games, right, the, the one o'clock games at FedEx Field, I think we're both basically in the same boat. You're coming typically from a further distance away, of course. Yep. But like my goal is to get there by 10 to 10.30 for two yep. reasons. One, I need to, somebody needs to keep Nikki Jabala company. She will have already been there for two hours. Two. <laughs> well played. Two. Um, the, you know, you got to, you know, you things are starting to happen. You get, you know, get ready for the day. We'll go through my notes start looking to see who's who's stretching on the field, if that has any potential impact, things like that. But the when I originally started doing this, the number one reason was <clears throat> traffic sucks. And if I if you get there, it's not like we have an easy pass lane for the media. So if you get there after, I don't know, a certain time, you are in the traffic. And, you know, we've been, from this perspective only, fortunate that they've been bad the last few years uh, because it was been the traffic is pretty light. The COVID year, I mean, look, it sucked for everybody for a hundred reasons. Best year we've ever had is pulling up to the stadium. But if more people start coming, then I got, you know, my days, your day is going to get longer. And if you're a fan, then obviously that that's a whole other um, com component. So, yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the size of the place is, is, is a, is a factor um, with all these things, but uh, and in terms of like, do I want to go get off my couch and actually go to the game? I, I think that's, hard to argue against that that's not a huge factor and will only get uh only get worse um okay so we're, we're so you're on the lower number i'm around the sixty-five thousand range on that let's get to the to the roof or the non-roof I, I it feels like it's got to be some sort of dome now there, going forward whether it's yeah we, we we can just state this there will be a roof period right. we're, we're debating what kind of roof not whether the, there will be a roof that ship has fully sailed. So retractable seems like the obvious I would want to do it. Although I could almost see it being if that, it, I don't know what, maybe, you know, I don't know what extra cost is added to the bill to make it retractable versus just some sort of a, a, a full dome. And maybe that's the type of thing where, you know, 
when you're when you're doing the budget, you're like, uh, we don't have the extra you know money for this. Let's just go to the one. I, I retractable would be the obvious one, especially when you factor in the other, you know, the early season games, but also the other potential events we mentioned, soccer things like, or or concerts, things like that. Um, would be would would be good if you sort of had to go open roof or or just flat out dome. Oh, sorry, let me rephrase. If you is is the dome, is it the dome or is it the retractable? Yeah, and the retractable is about $300 million more, so so that's your factor, and that's your question. Um, I have strong feelings on this. That may surprise you that I have strong feelings about something. One of my least favorite trends in stadium design is this SoFi translucent roof, and this is all the buzz right now, and the drawings in Woodbridge had it. You know, it's a roof, but it's translucent, so it's like being outside. No, it's not. Get that crap out of here. I, I appreciate that you're letting natural light in. That's a positive. But don't don't pretend to me that, that that's the same as being outside. It is not. It is a fundamentally different atmosphere when you are outside, when the fresh air is coming in, than when, you, than when you're looking out through the sunroof. It, it just is not the same. I would go to bat for the retractable roof. Obviously, the you know the issue is the cost um, with the retractable. You probably can't do the translucency. You know, you get a little more of that dark feel for 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 domed events i i get that I, I get why that's an issue i just don't think they've solved the problem and i don't think they solved the problem particularly well with, with the translucent roof i'm i'm firmly against it i think one thing about I, and i don't disagree with you though i have not been to lots of people disagree with me but i mean this is the number one trend in, in, in big stadium construction right now is the translucent roof it's it's red hot right now well, which ones are in the NFL? So you mentioned SoFi. Which of the other ones have this? If you know, if, or any other ones? Uh, no, but but there's been some European soccer's built built it. with it. That's the, yeah, got it. Okay, no, I was just trying to think because we've been. You've been. I should have said this earlier. Maybe I'll say it in the intro when I can do it. M- Michael, but what are you down? You like one or two stadiums left that you have not been to? No, I've I've, I've hit them all. Um, I, I I've done I've done them all since we went to uh, Vegas uh, that that last go round. So wow, nice way um, to cap it off. I, it was. Um, I, I've been meaning to do a full one to thirty-two ranking, so I, I may uh, maybe maybe this will spur me to actually make the time. I did it on a legal pad in Vegas, and everybody yelled at me and argued, and, and we had a good time. The the, the most con- the contentious two were I like Chicago, nobody else does, um, and I dislike San Francisco, and everybody else likes San Francisco. But otherwise, we had we had pretty broad consensus. Yeah, I, you know, I've I've been to about half at this point. I'll check off a few more. Uh, this season I, I kind of like Chicago I mean like you know I I mean as the nostalgia like the whole point of RFK we all talk about nostalgia we're really in our head saying RFK Stadium it's not nostalgia necessarily for that plot of land I don't think because it's not like we people go hang out there it's the stadium and that old school feel would be great and Soldier Field gives you that uh, without question which is I don't understand why they're moving but that's that's their problem <laughs> People don't know what they want, Ben. Uh, people think they want luxury, and luxury sells. And so all these new stadiums are coming up with new and more exciting ways to give people luxury, to give people uh, unlimited food and drink rooms, to give people access to couches and meeting spaces and gathering spaces, to give people VIP entrances and, and things of that nature. Look, that is the business they are in. I, I do not blame them for that people want luxury that, that that's what people think they want in san francisco like half of the stadium is just suites because people want to be in a suite they think they want to be in a suite what people actually want 
is to be cramped in with other people in a fun festive atmosphere. That's what that's the disconnect. The disconnect is people think they want luxury, but when they have it, they're bored and they go home and watch on TV and they get nostalgic. Oh man, remember RFK? Like the place was shaken. We were all together. We were all a community. We had a good time. Like people don't know what they want. Well, and, and to your point, like obviously a luxury that they off would offer the stadium. I'm not saying you can easily have it in your home, but I've, you know, we've all been to either you have it yourself or you've gone to a friend's house or somewhere that has the Mac Daddy uh, TV room with the, with the great couches and the great setup. And it's like, I, I can do that. I can't get, I can't be in a space, like you said, with 60,000 people screaming and yelling and we're tight and it's awkward, but we're a community and it's great and the team is winning and you're trying and whatever. Like you can't replicate that. And that is, I think, to your point. I can le- I can replicate luxury to a degree. I cannot replicate community like that. And that is something I think you're right that it's not it's not just fancier. It's like how do you make the atmosphere? So I think sometimes these things are very much I don't say hit or miss, but it becomes almost more organic that you can't plan these things except for the fact that how you build the stadium, construct it, it can can very much inf- impact that that aspect of the vibe. People pay good money to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium and have four inches of legroom while watching college basketball games. People pay good money to go to Lambeau Field and sit on an ice-cold metal bleacher for three hours and watch a football game. They do not do that because they are idiots. They do that because the community is the point of why we're doing it, and the luxury takes the community away. We need to move away from that. We need we need to stop giving people what they think they want and give them what they actually want. Um, let me ask you this, but to go back to the to the roof dome aspect. Um, you know, one cool thing is always if it's an outdoor stadium to some degree, can you see something if there's something in the area worth being seen, the downtown or in this case, maybe the the capital, things like that? Can you get that in your 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 field of sight? I think that's one of the things about Nats Park that's always been a little yep. frustrating and they didn't quite Agreed. do that. It only became worse when they added more buildings. Uh if it's an RFK and it's a straight shot down to to you know can are we factoring in any of that type of deal when we're saying like right in seattle right it's a it's a the retractable but there's like the but when it's open you can kind of see straight out are we factoring in Uh, any of that in our planning vegas left an open end zone with a view out towards the strip um you know i uh there, there are other places too where you, where you got a view tour you know they open it up towards uh philly's one of those places philly if you're sitting on the the other side of the, the grandstands you know that open end you can see downtown you can see the city i'm a huge fan of that i'm a huge fan of stadiums having soul and identity and there's a lot of ways to do that that aren't like nobody would argue that jerry world doesn't have an identity right like you can't see anything from there but that is the identity um so, so there's plenty of ways to do it that that, um, you know, the Patriots open up to that fake lighthouse like it. It's totally contrived, but it's it's an identity. Camden Yards, the warehouse like you don't you don't have to use what's around you to create an identity, but you need an identity. And, and certainly if you could pull it off, if you could get views of the Capitol, um, you know, that that's obviously really, really cool. I mean, I, and, you know, there's like other types of identities like, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the Hokey pirate ship. Exactly. I mean, that's you know, an identity. Uh, right. Carolina. Carolina was the other one I was thinking of. Built kind of right in the shadow of downtown there. You, you see the city. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, I, I maintain, I'm, I'm sort of half kidding, half serious, that the one legacy from the Bruce Allen uh, stadium talk was the moat. 
and like you can't see the moat necessarily from your seats but like i kind of like the idea of the moat especially listen to this michael when you walk if you walk across the moat you walk across bruce allen plank <laughs> usually i just send this into bits so i'm, I'm glad you took us um, the bit yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it would be other than the sightlight. Is there, I, I, mean, I don't know what the other bit would be. I mean, again, the pirate ship is a bit, a bit hokey. The, the, the Nats already have the, uh, the, you know, the, the presidents there. I, I don't know what, what that would be, but yeah, the, you got the easy one there. If, they, if it's an RFK site, you know, if, it, if we're talking the Landover site or if we're talking Virginia, then these had that, you know, something else is going to oh. have to come up. Gosh, Pittsburgh. How did I not say Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh's the obvious one. Uh, in term in terms of what the the whole like, the view it oh, opens yeah. it opens up to downtown out of the end zone. Yeah, uh, obviously yeah. The, the we think of the baseball stadium first, but Heinz Field also is right there and also has that view. Sadly, it's not called Heinz Field anymore. It's called something else whose name is terrible and I can't remember what it is. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's marketing dollars well spent right there, reach, reaching the Ben Standing demographic. Well, but yeah, exactly. By the way, I, I do think like this is obviously irrelevant to a degree i do think the name of the place like when, when like okay we, we we give sort of a negative view to fedex field because of the, the stadium is falling apart and all that but fedex is a known brand right it is something that like it it stays out it's not you know when they named all the arenas after like crypto i'm like okay i get that think crypto is the hot thing right now but like it may not be tomorrow i didn't think it would necessarily be non-existent tomorrow but you know Woo. Um, but you know, but like, but look at the top one, MetLife Stadium. That's a thing. AT and T sure. Stadium. That's a thing. Uh, Bank of America, Caesar Superdome. I'm just saying, like, if they're gonna get a sponsor, go, you know, get a real thing. You know, Nike, whatever. Go, go, you know, go with that. The swoosh. Wait, kick off three o'clock at the swoosh. Let's let's go. That's uh, there. You go. You can you can work with that. Uh I don't know, man. That's that's life in a capitalistic society. Whoever whoever pays the most money is going to get to slap their name on it. I'm, I don't have to like it, but I understand it. ZZQ Arena Stadium. I'm in. I'm, as long as as long as it smells like the smoker, I am a thousand percent in. Well, uh, and so speaking of that, I was going to ask you: Is there anything like everything we're discussing is sort of the broad terms of a stadium? But like you mentioned, it's it's sort of the other parts that can make it unique. The the Viking Stadium, the shape itself looks like a a, a Viking ship. That that makes it really cool, and and the you know, just the, the glass, and everything about that. Um, but there's also the things inside, like at Camden Yards, you know, Boog's Barbecue. I cannot go to a Camden uh, an Orioles game and not go to Boog's, uh, of course, bar- barbecue. Um, I know when we were in Vegas, they had various, you know, up on the you know on on these high walls, you know, various uh, items, you know, whether it's like you know pictures or gear from past players or or other things representing the community um is there I, I was trying to think of like what would be something that could be uh could be around there um i, I and, and i'm trying to think I, is there anything for you that like whether it's like i said the, the 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 food um you know like rockland's barbecue for me in dc would be my like zzq of choice is there anything for you that like whether whatever it may be that you would think i, I think for th- this is what i would want in a uh in, in a new stadium I do usually hit the Ben's Chili Bowl at Nats Park, uh, so, so I'm certainly uh, partial to that. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll move our discussion a little bit. I think what's around the stadium can be as important as what's in the stadium. And, and as this discussion heats up, you're going to hear a lot about the battery in Atlanta where the Atlanta Braves play, um, where it's not just game days. 
but that place is hopping all year round. On non-game days, people come out to that neighborhood to go out to the bars to experience the nightlife power and light district in Kansas City. They don't even have a team, but they built an entertainment district around the arena that now is the place to go out in Kansas City. I, I think you're going to really hear a lot about transforming that space because it, you nailed it. There are only nine of these. There are only 10 opportunities to have a gate every year when you toss in the preseason games. You, you need something more sustainable than that. You need something that you can bring people to on a more regular basis. And, and, and that's going to be very, very important uh, as they develop this to have that entertainment district around the stadium to be able to draw people in on weeknights, on, on winter nights um, to, to come to that area because otherwise you're, you're just not getting your, your civic bang for the buck. Yeah. I mean, I, it, like I was, we have so many concert venues now in town, relatively new ones too, like with the Anthem and the, yeah the one that's the, 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 the fancier nine thirty club. I'm blanking on the name. Um, Atlantis. Atlantis. Um, you, you got that. I mean, so I don't like, I don't, I don't know if we need another one, but maybe in seven or eight years, that will be a different view. So something like that, perhaps, is it could be put in that in that general area, thus giving yeah, it, a it, reason to go beyond, you know, just that time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that that's going to be probably, if, if it's the RFK site, probably one of the stickier civic battles here. You know, I, I don't know that the neighborhood is going to warm up to that right away. Um, so I, I could see that being a very intriguing subplot as we go down the line. I had always said, so Virginia legalized casinos a few years ago, oh, and yeah. they gave they gave them to five localities. They gave them out, out east, Norfolk and Portsmouth, Richmond, and then out west, Danville and Bristol. They did not award a casino to Northern Virginia, which at face value seemed like a pretty stupid decision on their part because it's Northern Virginia and, and, you know, MGM's right there. I always thought they were holding that back as a bargaining chip for the new arena, that 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 it, it could be an arena slash casino, and that would be Virginia's bargaining chip. Because as you know, a casino is a license to legally print money. Um, that that's a mighty strong incentive uh, when you're at when you're at the the table bargaining for that. Right, and as we know, they are you know they just put a fanatic, fanatic sports book at FedEx Field, so they already have like it's already a lean towards that type of you know uh, addition. I mean, I would say that's it's not. Been- the t- it's been fully destigmatized. There's no, there's no stigma around it anymore. Unless you're good, a, good or bad. I'm not making a political commentary. I'm just saying, they, it, it's it's life now. It, we have them. Just don't make bets while you're actually at a team's practice facility. Apparently, that's don't do it. Don't that that's not good. Um, yeah, and I just one I thought I had also was there's no such thing as like a DC Sports Hall of Fame, like in terms of a physical structure, and I don't okay. necessarily know that we need one. But, like, I don't know. I mean, could you have one? And then if you did put it next to this this stadium as as another thing to have people go to. And, you know, like, we've all gone cities off-season, and you're like, oh, there's that stadium. Could you do the tour? Like, you know, if you have the, I don't know, D.C. Sports Hall of Fame, it would attract more than just NFL. I don't know. Um, Yeah, Patriots and Packers both have team-centric museums on site you know see see the lombardies get your picture with the lombardies you know all that stuff yeah you know they, lots of and and a lot of this you meant you mentioned off the top i'll circle back on it you, you've got seven years until this thing opens you have to rebuild the value of the franchise between now and then because right now nobody is buying a ticket to the washington commander's museum they like 
the value of the brand is is dangerously close to zero. You got to resurrect that if you have any chance of success here. Absolutely. All right. Um, uh, lastly, because I I get accused people of, uh, of 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 keeping my guests very long on these podcasts. I think that's ridiculous. But this has been pretty long. <laughs> I've kept Michael here so far. So if you need to go, tell me right now, and I'll let you go. No, uh, no, I got I got one more. Let's do it. All right. So I, I to, in my introduction, uh, I talked about the ESPN put out a a, a, a story late. Uh, Late late June, ranking all the rosters in the league uh, for the standard reasons why you would rank rosters. And they had the commanders at 24th. It's hard to say if that's high or low because you'd have to look at the, all the other teams and, and assess, you know, you could think the commanders have a really good roster, but hey, maybe they're just not as good as others. And I guess my question is, do, I, I feel like every time I talk about them, I say, hey, they got good talent on both sides of the ball and blah, blah, blah. I think that's true, but it's also possibly true that I'm overrating it, and I think maybe a lot of us are, overstating the talent because we're comparing it to what was here when, say, Ron Rivera took over. And that is a different comparison than saying, how do you compare them to the other 31 teams in the league? Do you, so I guess to that point, do you think the 24th on its surface sounds fair? Or, or you know, do we overrate them, or how do you kind of assess that? Yeah, the, the national local split is always interesting, but I think this year it's particularly interesting. The the Vegas win loss over under number, right? You bet like, will they win more or less than this number of games? Started at seven and a half for these guys and has actually moved to six and a half. It has moved down, which means money came in on these guys to not win seven and a half games this season, to win seven or fewer. That now you, you have to bet that they will win six or fewer, which is a startlingly low number, uh, especially in our new 17-game world we live in here. Um, I, I think everybody would agree that, that if this team only wins six or seven games, it, it is a failure of the season of a season and everybody's got to go. The, the local discussion has really centered around, hey, they got to make the playoffs this year. Hey, you know, that this is, this is a big make or break year for them. And, and, you know, they've, they've, they've got the talent, they've got the continuity, they've got to make the playoffs. Seven win teams don't make the playoffs. Six and a half win teams don't make the playoffs. It's a huge national local split this year. I'm, I'm very intrigued by it, um, more so than usual. Um, you know, a few years ago, they undershot on, on Ron's team. Um, so it's possible they're sleeping on it. It's possible we're just a little too fired up for reasons you nailed it, that it's it's the best roster we've seen in the Ron Rivera era. Maybe we just haven't seen a good roster in a long time. We don't know what one actually looks like. Um, I'm inclined to say for the moment they're undershooting. Um, but you know what? I, I, I'm always hesitant to go against Vegas, right? Those guys know what they're talking about. Um, it, it's a dangerous warning sign as, as we turn the calendar to July here. Yeah, and certainly the perception of Sam Howe being a big question is is, is a factor, and I, I, it's hard to argue against that. All right, uh, he is, but, of course— but, but tell let me let me say this though. If yeah. Jacoby Brissett is the starter all year long, which he won't be, Sam Howell will start week one. But if Jacoby Brissett comes in, he's gonna be fine. Like the wheels aren't gonna come off if Jacoby Brissett is the starting quarterback for this team. So that's where I don't fully understand this. Like if Sam Howell has this team on a six-win trajectory, at some point they are going to pull the plug on Sam Howell. They're, they're just they're not going to ride that out for 17 entire games. I think they'll be fine with Jacoby Brissett. Like the reason they're not starting Jacoby Brissett, I think he would go. I think he would win eight or nine games for the team this year. I think they just understand that's not good enough. They have to 
find a marquee guy, find a guy who can lift them. That's why they have to take the chance with Sam Howell. But, you know, like there, there are seasons where you say, hey, if the starting quarterback gets hurt, like the wheels are going to come off. I don't think that's this team. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I just think like if Jacoby Brissett was like the starter, that was the perception, then I think the discussion would be more about, hey, look at the playmakers they have on offense. Look at the defensive line. They added a, That's fair. A, an interesting cornerback. But because it's Sam Howell, like, whoa, Sam Howell. Ah! And then the rest of it gets more muted. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I get why people are confused by Sam Howell. I think some of us in, inside the beltway at times are as well, but, or, or, sorry, even outside the beltway as the case of Michael. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's just, you know, it's, an, it's a perception and we'll see what the reality is coming up. All right. Uh, at Michael PRTD on Twitter, go read him, subscribe to the Richmond times dispatch as I do. I literally subscribe for one person. That's ridiculous. Uh, compliments to you. You, you, you are uh, good to do so. We, we appreciate every subscriber, but particularly uh, particularly you, Mr. Standing. We appreciate you. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's ridiculous, too. Come on. All right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, go, go read Michael's stuff. Uh, appreciate it, my guy. Enjoy uh, your summer, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to See an you. ownership sale and training camp soon enough. See you on July 20th. All right. Many thanks to Michael Phillips. Uh, from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Of course, thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast and checking my work out on The Athletic. Um, you know, like I said, I'm trying to have a little bit of downtime here before things get ratcheted up again, but we'll have more podcasts out before training camp for sure. But that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya.